Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Betsy Burroughs, the president of Focus Catalyst in San Francisco. The Atlantic Magazine called her a Silicon Valley branding executive turned neuroscience researcher. Betsy consults with organizations on business innovation and with individuals on how to easily stop bad habits. Even though her first book is for businesses, surprisingly, she used every technique in it to make it easy, effortless, and fun for her to change one bad habit after another, all the way up to and including easily losing 90 pounds. Her second book is Do You Have a Scaredy Cat Brain? 52 Ways to Soothe a Scaredy Cat Brain Based on the Neuroscience of Cortisol and Dopamine, which will be available in 2022. I'm so excited to welcome Betsy to the show, especially since I just partook in a Focus Catalyst session, and I can't wait to dive in and share the results with you. Welcome to the show, Betsy. Great to be here. So Betsy, before we dive into your work, I'd love for you to just define some terms that we're going to be using today. So for folks who may not know what dopamine is or who might know what it is, but need a refresher, I'd love for you to just kick it off and talk to us about what exactly is dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that um, is focused on the brain and the person going toward a reward. Uh, One of the most interesting research papers that I read was how dopamine, like 10,000 years ago on the savannah, um, was really hard to find food and water. And the brain was designed so that when people were like about 70% to goal, 70% to finding that thing, they got a hit of dopamine to keep going. So... Dopamine is all tied into the brain looking for and expecting reward. Got it. Got it. And Betsy, why is dopamine such an important neurotransmitter? What are like some other important neurotransmitters for us to understand as well as we kind of dive into this topic? Well, cortisol and dopamine, I talk about them a lot together Um, because they really affect the brain in kind of two opposite ways. So cortisol is actually the fight or flight neurotransmitter. It's meant to get you to run away from a tiger really fast. And in order to do that, what the body does when it gets a hit of cortisol, which is some kind of a threat, the, the, the mind and the body are experiencing some sense of threat. Um, it could be a real threat or it could be imaginary threat. You might have your boss look at you funny on a Zoom call and immediately think they're going to fire you. That's the kind of thing that used to happen to me. Um, I have a very sensitive threat response threshold. So you have this hit of cortisol, you're freaked out. Sometimes you don't even know why. And what happens is in order to get you to fight or flight right away, the brain shunts the blood and oxygen that's going into your rational prefrontal cortex brain to your arms and legs so that you will run away or you will fight. And if you're not being chased by tigers at the time, you really need to get your brain back onto dopamine instead of cortisol really, really fast. And 
so when you, um, when you have, when your brain is running on dopamine and dopamine feels good, it's, it's a, it's a state of being, um, expecting, uh, a reward in the future and you feel good. It, your brain becomes fully oxygenated and, and working effectively. And then you can do, uh, uh, problem solving much more effectively. So what I like to say to people is just always remember that cortisol makes you stupid and dopamine makes you smart. Mm. Yeah. It's such a powerful thing to understand because I think so many people show up to work and there's just a level of like constant anxiety, I think running through most corporations right now. And it, you know, the reminder that like actually having cortisol makes you stupid is is just also a reminder to managers and to leadership to create environments where people can, um, you know, can be more relaxed to do their best work. And I think if they don't have a spaces where they can do their best work, they have to create them, right, by, by hacks. And so that's what I love. Uh, your work is focused purely on giving individuals the toolkit and the framework to be able to really kind of what you've called dopamize (laughs) their cortisol and switch into um, a a dopamine state. So I want to dive into your process called the focus catalyst process, which I had the pleasure of partaking in recently. So before we dive into what the work between the two of us um, was like, I'd love for you to just tell the audience what this process is like and what the end goal is. Well, I'll tell you a little bit of a history about how I came up with it. Um, It was back over 20 years ago and I had my own ad agency and I was working with a client and without the long backstory, I basically woke up one morning and it was like I had a full download of everything of the branding and the positioning of the company, Uh, the tagline, the headline and layout and message of the first ad, the, the logo, everything came to me in a flash. And I knew immediately it was the right answer. I went to the client, we sat in his office and screamed for the longest time because we both knew it was the answer. It was executed exactly as it came to me that morning. And it took that company from a 35 share to a 50 share, basically overnight. People in Silicon Valley talked about it for years. Um, and I was I was sort of blown away by the whole thing. I ended up as the chief marketing officer at this company and actually lightning struck twice uh, for a new campaign for them in quite a similar way. But by then I actually did something to make that happen. And I started to realize that there could be ways where this isn't just the muse that hits you. You get ahas in the shower, that type of thing. It is, um, it's something that can happen more at will. And the focus catalyst process I developed back then to make it really, really easy, effortless and fun to come up with those kinds of insights. And it's all based, that's what got me into studying neuroscience. I really wanted to find out what is actually going on in the brain 
when you get those flashes of insight in the shower or a walk or a hike or a drive. Amazing. So you created a system to essentially replicate this inspired insight. And can you walk us through that process? And um, you can give an example from our session or maybe a favorite example that you've had with a, a previous client or, um, or company. Sure. Um, by the way, I did a 2013 TEDx talk on this. And uh, so it kind of takes you through all of the steps. But fundamentally, what it does is I have people tell me three problems that are really, really bugging them right now. And then I ask them for three favorites of theirs. It could be a favorite location anywhere in the world, a favorite food, um, a favorite person. And Oh, and with the favorites, I have them tell me a lot of things that, and characteristics of that favorite that they really like. And then I go to a site called random.org, which gives you random number sequences. So I'm not influencing the order at which I do this, or nor does my client. And I randomly match each of the problems with a favorite. And what happens when you do that, when people are stuck on a problem, it means that they're going around and around in circles in neural pathways that are really well established. The brain runs on electricity and neural pathways that are really well established, the electricity flows down there really, really quickly. So when we're looking at a problem, what we tend to do is go over and over and over the same ideas that we've had for solutions. The, the real breakthrough um, solution comes from breaking outside of those new neural pathways, but the brain isn't designed to do that. The brain wants to do follow the path of least resistance to those old ways of thinking over and over and over again. So what this does is you take the problem and then you match it with a favorite, which is completely unrelated to it. So your problem with your boss right now is completely unrelated to your grandmother's lasagna. You know, and so <laughs> what happens is you start to, I work with people, um, people, everybody can do it themselves. I've been doing this for over 20 years. So my brain is very attuned to seeing how the connections with each of my clients of those random matches work. Um, and you start to think about the problem in the terms of the favorite. So the problem is cortisol is cortisol generating. The favorite makes you feel good. The favorite is dopamine generating. So what happens is when you do this process, you are dopaminizing your problem and causing your thinking about the problem to be running on dopamine and not on cortisol. Cortisol will, one of the things that's crazy about cortisol and fight or flight is cortisol is designed that when you feel a threat, then it it tells the brain to look for more threats. And the deal is, is it can be a real threat or it can be imagined threat. Back on the savanna, you're running from a tiger and the tiger, and you get away from the tiger and the threat's over and your brain's done. Here, these days, you have a, you, your tiger is the politics that are going on in your company, let's say. And so you get scared that somebody else is, uh, you know, a, bo a boss is not happy with you or something like that. And then 
and your brain freaks out. And if you stay in cortisol, you will start to think more and more reasons why that's true. You'll start to think about other people that you work with and they're out to get you too. And you can just uh, end up being incredibly upset. And it may not be anything that's worthy of that level of upset. So you need to get out of it really fast. My thing is, is I have several techniques and the focus catalyst technique is one of them for flipping you out of cortisol and into dopamine really, really fast. You don't have to, you don't, I'm all for meditation. I'm all for deep breathing. I, a lot of times I find I can't access those kinds of techniques when I'm really freaked out. And instead I can do one of these techniques and I can immediately flip my brain from running on cortisol to running on dopamine. Mm, yeah, I want to dive into our session using this process because yep. it was incredibly powerful for me. <laughs> uh, and I think it would also help the audience understand uh, what it means, right? So mm-hmm. so we when we uh, connected and did this session together, I came up with the three problems that you asked me, and then you'd also ask me the three favorites. Um, you know, and it's so funny, like what comes up in real time, right? You, you said, don't think about it, just answer. And so uh, we can use one of the problems and then the favorite that was matched to it to give people an idea. And so the problem was, I felt like I didn't have enough time to do my creative work. I wasn't prioritizing it. Um, I have a couple other, you know, creative careers outside of my primary career. I also felt like I was embarrassed about how much I get done uh, and that I, I sort of shied away from telling people how much I get done, um, which believe it or not, they, they don't sound like problems, but they actually are. <laughs> uh, so, and then the favorites that I had, things that I just loved, right? Like things that would would create dopamine in my brain or like the people that I love, the people that get me, that want the best for me, conversations, uh, with, with friendships, um, with friends and then my relationships, uh, the time that I have with my partner and, you know, we can go on and on, you know, being more vulnerable, having more dinner parties. And so what we did was we connected the problem with, a favorite, which is something that I normally wouldn't wouldn't do, right? Um, I felt like I didn't have enough time to do my creative work, and all of a sudden, you know, I started thinking about things that were very unrelated, uh, things that made me happy, that were my favorite things. So, what we came up with, and Betsy, feel free to, to chime in and interrupt me anytime here. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but the, what we came up with um, in the brainstorming session was to have way more dinner parties and time with friends to potentially collaborate on creative work. Um, and then bringing all these worlds together, teaching my community how to be more productive, um, how to be more creative and, and really kind of hone in on the superpower. So, I mean, these are just some ideas, but I'll also, you know, ask you what you thought, you know, during our session. (laughs) Right. Well, um, the thing is, is what was going on around in your head that was causing the cortisol activation was thinking about, you don't have enough time. You're not prioritizing it. You really want to do creative work. And by pairing it with friends, it opened your brain to see how you could do that creative work with your friends. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are, okay, I'm going to do, I have a, 
creative thing I want to do and I'm going to do it with a friend per se. You can actually cue your brain before you meet with a friend, before you have a dinner party um, and just let your brain think in terms that you're going to find answers to how to have your creative work more of a priority in your life and, uh, and give more time to it. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll use, I, I, I initially did this and I still do the focus catalyst process with myself, um, using three by five cards and, um, you can write on, you know, a couple of things that you would really like to get insights on, on, um, you know, one per a few three by five cards and you can write a favorite on the back of each of those cards. And then you can, after you've, after you've shuffled the cards, so you don't know which favorite is matched with which um, problem and, um, and do that before you have a dinner party or before you meet with a friend and look at those cards. You don't have to figure them out. Just sort of let your brain see them. And then you go and you just have fun. You have your dinner party, you have lunch with a friend, anything like that. But what has happened is because you've done those cards before that event, your brain will be attuned to looking for solutions, ideas, and insights out of the conversations that you're having with friends. Right, right. And I think the what was the big insight for me was being able to see something that felt like a problem and take the energy of of my favorite thing and associate it with this problem. So all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I don't have time to do my creative work, but then I I imagine the joy that I that I have when I am with friends, when I have these dinner parties. So that in itself, it just that association just made me feel calm, made me feel like I have all the time in the world. And I love what you had asked me to do was to to basically review these um, new associations and then go for a walk, right? Like uh, do something a little bit different. Don't just sit and think, because this was not really a thinking exercise. This was an insight exercise. And those are very different things. And the answers often come when you're not thinking. And so, um, so that was really powerful for me, like just taking a look at these new associations, um, and then disconnecting from my usual life and just seeing what, what else came up. I think when I did this exercise, what was so powerful was how much more positive I felt about life in general. Because I think a lot of times when we get stuck in a negative loop, we often think that there's no end, there's no out. And doing this exercise felt so healing because it is a reminder that there's always an out. You know, it's just your brain going down a pathway. And I love one other thing that you mentioned um, right, you know, during this is the path of least resistance. And I want to actually ask about that because I know that the book, The Path to Least Resistance is one of your favorite books, um, was one that I also read based on your recommendation. Um, and so, you know, what is it about the path to least resistance that um, that puts us into these, I guess, like pathways that set us up for either failure or success? Yeah, Path of Least Resistance by Robert Fritz is a great book. And he talks about how the path of least resistance is the way of all nature. 
wind, water, electricity, everything follows the path of least resistance. And yet, in certainly our culture, it's like, it's a bad thing if you're following the path of least resistance. What I really liked about what he talked about was instead of, the analogy was like, say you have a canoe and you're by a river and you, what we usually do is we put the canoe in the wet, in the river, and then we madly paddle upstream. You know, we feel kind of virtuous because we're doing a lot of work. We're getting absolutely nowhere. Instead, you put your energy into building a new channel for that river so that when you put your canoe in the river, you paddle downstream to your goal. So one of these things that Focus Catalyst does is it gets you to associate what before had been a problem to you, to something that is a favorite, you start to think about the problem completely differently. You don't think of it as a problem. Um, I have a, a mantra I use all the time when anything goes wrong. I say to myself, it's to my advantage, it's to my advantage, it's to my advantage. And this is what was supposed to happen because our brains are freaking out when something goes wrong and they go, oh, this is awful. And this is the reason why it's awful. And so is this and so and this and so and this and this shouldn't happen. And all that does is it gets you more balled up and less in, in more cortisol and you can't solve the problem. But if you focus on the idea that it's to your advantage and this is what was supposed to happen, your brain will start to jump the neural pathways from the cortisol neural pathway to dopamine neural pathway. And you start to go, okay, well, yeah, actually there's something about it that kind of is to my advantage and you don't freak out so you can problem solve. Mm. Wow. And I just wanted to say one more thing about the walking. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people experience this and I certainly do. When you're moving your brain, you can access different parts of your brain. So I really recommend, and sometimes it's just driving, sometimes it's walking, Um, I have had an all day strategy session with clients where I take them on the Amtrak train from San Francisco to Yosemite and back in one day, um, and, um, go through all my techniques on the train. And then we hike around Yosemite for a couple of hours and it just opens your brain up to new ways of thinking. Wow. So yeah, that's a technique that I have a chapter in my Focus Catalyst book that um, I call Park and Ride. And that's because I found that if I'm moving around, I get better insights. And I also can work more effectively when I'm moving around than sitting at a desk all day. Um, Luckily, I have work that doesn't have to make me sit at a desk all day. And more and more people are having that kind of work. So park and ride for me is I'll get in my car and I'll flip a coin on whether I turn to the right or the left. And then I'll drive for a specific period of time, five minutes, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then when the timer goes off, I uh, park at the first safe place to park and I get out and do a little walk And when I get back to the car, I do a little work, more work in the car. And then I repeat. And what that does is it just keeps my brain constantly engaged. It um, keeps it freed from cortisol. It's kind of like a game. It's fun. I love using a random 
element to it um, because that makes it kind of fun. And there's something really interesting about random, but that's a whole nother story. So yeah, moving around, whether it's going and taking the train to Yosemite and back, or it's just driving around your neighborhood. Some of the best work I get done, I have, uh, I, when I go on errands, I'll do a little work in the car before I get out of the, and go into the store and a little work when I come back. And my brain feels kind of free and happy when I do that. And it serves up better solutions that way. That's amazing. And I think a lot of us are just spending way too much time at home, (laughs) which is probably preventing us from honestly having more creative insight and inspiration throughout the day. I can just anecdotally share that so many of my friends seem like they're overworked and just frankly, like there's a level of, I wouldn't say boredom, uh, but, but there's, there's not the same inspiration. I think that there was pre pandemic. Um, so, so yeah. So I think that this exercise is actually more important now than ever. And And it can be done with walking. It doesn't, you don't have to do it in the car. Um, you can do it while you're walking. Same, same, same way. I love that. It's simple that most people can do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Betsy, uh, you were also able to use your neurohacks to lose a lot of weight and curb your eating. I'd love for you to walk us through that process, especially since I think the average weight gain during the first few months of the pandemic were around 16 pounds from what I've heard. So I think a lot of us are probably interested in some of the ways that you've been able to also like keep the weight off for so long. So can you talk to us about some of that? Sure. So yeah, I lost 90 pounds and, um, however I did gain the pandemic. It wasn't the pandemic 15. It was a pandemic 20. Um, which I have recently lost in the last couple of months, really with no effort on my part. Um, key to the whole thing is the phrase that I use a lot in the, in the book that I wrote a while ago, the Focus Catalyst book. And that's if you ask your brain how to make anything easy, effortless, and fun, your brain will go looking for that answer. Um, what we tend to do is think some things are just horribly difficult to do and miserable to do. So whether it's taxes or trying to lose weight or any of those things, we basically have our brain focused on how difficult it is, how much you hate it, um, how it makes you miserable. And I've done that with taxes. I've done that with my finances. I've done it with losing 90 pounds just losing the the 20 pandemic pounds, all of those things is because I was looking for and having my brain help me look for ways to make it easy, effortless, and fun. So as far as the 90 pounds is concerned, that's a long story. I won't get into all of it right now, but the basics were, was by the time I was 63, I was 250 pounds. I'd lost 30 pounds over and over again, but I'd always gained it all back And then additional, I always keep gaining weight each time I had lost and regained. And I was just really, really tired of it. And I also had learned a whole lot about how the brain works around habits. Key to the whole thing as far as weight loss is concerned is weight loss is not a willpower problem or a motivation problem or a morality problem, you know, being good, being bad. Um, 
weight loss is a learning problem and it's about your brain learning new habits. And the thing is, is that what people have as a model of how their brain works in many cases is wrong. Um, they think it's like, oh, I just have to be really motivated or I have to be really disciplined or whatever to lose weight. And actually it doesn't work that way. And it's real, it's much more like learning the piano. You know, you start out with chopsticks for a long time and then you gradually increase your mastery and it becomes more and more habitual what you're, what you're um, uh, playing. And, um, and it takes, it takes a long time. Um, and I was ready for that. And I decided that I'd make it easy, effortless and fun. Uh, one of the most radical things I did is I decided that I would maintain my weight for a significantly long period of time, literally multiple years. So being 63 and at 250 pounds, um, that seemed like a really crazy idea, but I knew that once I learned the habits and really locked them in, it doesn't mean that you, you, you know, a lot of information about how to lose weight. Most people do not have it as a automatic habit and it has to be designed. That habit has to be designed so that you keep that habit, even when all hell is breaking loose in your life. And the fact of the matter is, is all hell can break loose in any of our lives at any moment. So I used all those things. I did a lot of things to actually make it easy, effortless, and fun to lose the weight. And um, like I said, it's a whole long story. I won't get into it now, but it's just a completely different way of looking at losing weight. And it totally worked. And it continues to work. And you have a book on that topic, correct? I have a book planned on that topic. Um, that it's not going to be my next one, which will be out, um, in 2022, but it will, um, but I, I'm, I'm planning to do more on the weight loss. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And Betsy, what sort of things have surprised you the most on this journey? Oh God, how easy effortless <laughs> and fun it could be to lose 90 pounds. I mean, I mean, I, it, it, it all completely worked. Um, I, I have a couple of Instagram posts and it's got a picture of a giant Costco cheesecake. And the headline is, um, I ate a whole Costco cheesecake dot, dot, dot twice. Um, and I ate a whole Costco cheesecake while I was losing 20, 90 pounds and long after I had lost all that weight. Um, I, my brain does not work around eating and assumptions about what I'm doing and beating myself up or any of that. That doesn't happen anymore. And mm -hmm. I can still go and eat myself silly today. And I have no voices in my head yelling at me like they used to, which was, you're gonna gain it all back. You're gonna gain it all back. You're gonna gain it all back because those voices were a, an order to my brain. It was telling my brain to gain it all back. And it did. Those voices are gone now. I mean, I'm completely free from them. It's, it's insane. And the pandemic, losing the pandemic 20 was exact example of that. Wow. 
Betsy, can you give us one example of like a new habit that you created to keep the weight off? I weigh myself every day. And I know there's a lot of talk about how you shouldn't weigh yourself every day. Um, But it's a feedback loop for me. And one of the reasons why I feel so confident about keeping the weight off and why I didn't freak out about the pandemic weight gain is because I understand how my body weight fluctuates. For example, kind of drives me crazy when people go, oh my God, I gained a half a pound. People don't understand that one cup of water is a half a pound. And your weight naturally fluctuates probably about five pounds on a continual basis when you're staying the same weight. And um, what happens is people notice that it goes up a half a pound or a pound or five pounds, and they completely freak out. The brain gets completely focused on the fact that they're going to gain it all back. And they, and that's like an order to the brain and the brain goes and gains it all back. I weigh myself every day. So even if I do go way off track, I still feel great about myself because I get on the scale the next day and I I can eat myself silly and gain five pounds. And then I just watch the weight just come completely off like in the next week. And I've done that over and over and over again for a lot of years. I'm very secure and confident in knowing how to manage my body that way. Wow. I'm so curious. I ha- I think we can do a whole podcast just about that because <laughs> I think we will, we will have to when I when I when I even while I'm in the process of writing the weight loss book. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I think uh, I read somewhere that like over 90% of women are not happy with how they look, which is so is so sad and just frankly, you know, where we're at in society today. So I think that this information to not have those voices in your head, to not have any judgment, I think is incredibly powerful. So, and it is not taken care of by the typical advice that also drives me crazy, which is, Oh, don't talk so mean to yourself. You'd never say that to a friend. Well, that doesn't change your behavior at all. Um, the other advice I don't like is, you know, just go take a bubble bath or do your nails. And, (laughs) And, um, it is not, about that at all. And that's what I mean. People have models in their head about the way they think the brain works and it's not the way the brain works. And so they keep beating themselves up and beating their head against the wall, doing a a behavior that doesn't work with the brain. The reason why I was able to lose the 90 pounds is because I knew how the brain worked. I knew how habits worked and I made the changes based on that knowledge. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to uh, read your book when it comes out. (laughs) So Betsy, what are some books or resources that have inspired you on this path? Uh, You know, I've told you that every book that you've recommended is one that I've read and I have just um, bought the latest book that you recommended. I, I think that you have such a great insight into the books and resources that are really groundbreaking um, in terms of being able to live a better life. So yeah, I'd love for you to share. I'm happy books. to share those. Um, the thing that really changed my mind was probably back in the late nineties, being in Silicon Valley at a big auditorium at the company SAP. And David Rock spoke to a standing room only audience. David Rock founded the Neuroleadership Institute. 
he has a PhD in neuroscience and his thinking about the brain is made a huge difference. He talked in that, I can still remember, I have a picture in my mind, him in that talk and talking about threat response and how the brain works around threat response. And I suddenly realized that things were freaking me out, like my boss looking at me funny, was just my brain's threat response. Instead, for me, the way I was interpreting it was the feeling was so strong, that threat response was so strong, I got such a big hit of cortisol that I interpreted that to mean that what I was afraid was going on was true. Hmm. And again, the brain then when it's in threat response, like I said before, it keeps looking for more, its job is to keep looking for more threats. So you just kind of keep building and building on it. And I remember hearing that from him and it was like, you know, the clouds parted kind of thing. And I went, whoa. So I got into his work. He wrote a book called Your Brain at Work. He has a new updated version. It is brilliant. It goes through a typical life of a couple of people at work. And each chapter is a different day part, like when from the time they get up until the time they leave for work. And the first third of the chapter is them doing it and everything going wrong in ways that we all experience all the time. And then the middle part of the chapter is he describes how the brain works. What's the actual thing that's going on, on in the brain? And then the third part of the chapter is going through that same day part with those two people understanding how the brain works and managing it in the right way, according to where, how the brain actually works. And then things working out so much better that it's really easy, accessible neuroscience. It is terrific. So, um, I would highly recommend that. And then also a couple of people that are doing amazing work, um, are, um, Dan Sullivan, who is head of strategic coach and Benjamin Hardy. Um, Dan is 77 now. And, um, at age 70, he started a 25 year plan to write a book a quarter. So hundred books until he was 95, although he's planning to leave, live to 158. And, um, <laughs> When I heard him talk about that, it transformed my life. I was in my 60s. I had found myself getting waking up in the morning thinking I have a good 10 or 20 years left. And I, it, I knew my brain well enough that that was not a good thing to keep in my head. And so when he had started a 25-year plan at age 70, and I was maybe in my late 60s by then or something like that, and I decided to have a 25 year plan. Maybe I was 70 at the time and, um, till I was 95 and it transformed my life mm. because I didn't have that constricting feeling. The time was going away from me. And I saw that I had runway to accomplish things and that this wasn't a winding down time in my life. It was a winding up time in my life. And it really has nothing to do with whether I live to 95 or currently I'm aiming for 125. Um, I, it, it was so powerful in my life because it makes my current 
present time exponentially better. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow, but I am rocking and rolling and I don't think of myself as 74. Mm-hmm. So um, that so Dan Sullivan has done amazing work over the years. And he, he these little books that he writes um, once a quarter, one of them is called Who Not How. And it is game changing. Anybody in business has to read this book. And what happened was, is he ended up connecting with and collaborating with a young guy, Ben Hardy, who was maybe 35. Um, Ben had like the most popular posts on Medium for years, just um, millions of downloads. And then he started writing books and um, and now he and Dan are collaborating on books. So the first one was Who Not How, and it's by both Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. And the next, the second one um, is brand new, and it's called The Gap and the Game. Um, it will transform how happy you are about your accomplishments. Uh, one of the things when people get really accomplished is they keep ch- chasing an ideal horizon out there and um, they end up feeling miserable about the accomplishments that they have made. And um, The Gap and the Gain is a book that shows you how to live your life um, measuring backwards on your accomplishments. And what that does is it gives you more comp- more confidence to achieve more accomplishments more uh, accomplishments. I love that so much. And Betsy, as you're aware, I actually downloaded the um, Gap in the Gain book and started listening to it because I could not resist and I couldn't wait. Um, and it is, it is so powerful, uh, just how many of us live in what they call the gap, um, which is like measured against an ideal that you'll never get to. <laughs> Because right. um, once you get to the, get to the ideal, you want you see another ideal. It's, it's exactly. exactly like the horizon. Yep, yep, exactly. And I think we're all sort of guilty, at, you know, of that and and such a goal oriented culture. And so just being able to to look back and see, actually, I'm measuring against how far I've come, and like what an incredible switch that that does in your brain where you can then go into a space of gratitude. So I just love that so much. Um, and I will also buy a who, not how, um, yeah, both got really great reviews. So that's not how, what really hit me between the eyes was when, um, it talks about how you shouldn't, when you, when you need to get something done in, particularly in business, let's say. And um, if you're an entrepreneur at all, you think in terms of you needing to do it all or needing to do a lot of it. And the thing is, is that you're not, it's often something that you're not, it's not your expertise, Um, but people kind of shy away from hiring expertise Anyway, the line that really got me was the part where in that book, it talks about um, if you're not, if, if you're still thinking, how can I do this instead of who can I get to do this, 
then you will always keep your dreams small. Ooh, wow. And and (laughs) because you're trying to keep it within your area of experience. So anyway, it's really, really powerful. Also, both Ben Hardy and uh, Dan Sullivan have tons of YouTubes. They have lots of short little YouTubes. You can you can get a lot of these ideas just uh, running a bunch of their YouTubes. Oh wow! Okay, I'll definitely check them out. Yeah, I've Dan Sullivan is, is someone I've heard of many many times and um, have just have not been very familiar with his work until you mentioned it. So I'm going to go down that rabbit hole. Some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, he is their coach. Wow! Amazing. Well, uh, Betsy, we are uh, almost at time, but I just wanted to ask um, one last question. Um, what do you want to tell our listeners about their health, wellness, well-being? What's sort of like your main takeaway? Ask your brain how to do it easy, effortless, and fun. Mm, I love that. Yes, I love just asking for that and and finding it, right? Because I think you had mentioned that your brain looks for what you're looking for. Um so what in what you're paying attention to. So I, I love that so much. <laughs> and where can people find you? You have a couple books and you've got another one coming out soon. W- what's the best place for people to navigate and find you? My website is focuscatalyst.com. That's Great. probably the best place. Awesome. Well, Betsy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was just such an enlightening conversation. I feel like we only scratched the surface and there's so much depth uh, and knowledge in your, in your brain, really. Um, and there's just so many things that I still have questions about. I'm sure our audience does as well. So they can navigate to Focus Catalyst. It's F-O-C-U-S, Catalyst, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T.com for those of you who, who want to check it out. And as, and then I guess if there's any other workshops or anything that you might be offering in the future, we'll just, we'll check it out there. Um, if there's anything else, uh, but thank you so much for your time, Betsy. Fantastic. Very fun. <laughs> Likewise. So for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening in this episode. We learned about how to manage your dopamine, to manage your brain for a better quality of life. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.